Wednesday, um, and although oh, no, there is Wednesday the 10th, a meeting by weird speculations undergraduate class doing experimental speculative writing. So that's uh, across the street Wednesday at 2 p.m. It's not really new writing series, but if you like the new writing series, you will like that. Um, the next few quarters are going to be full, jam-packed with amazing writers, but I think secretly today is already my favorite one. Uh, we have Nikolai Bobe and Janaka Hodge, and to introduce them is a fabulous graduate student at the Preparing for, for this presentation, uh, I couldn't get uh, the idea of rhythm out of my mind. Uh, uh, it popped all over the places, uh, reading about Shinaka and Nikolai. Uh, so, why is rhythm? Uh, today we have two versions, uh, two answers, possible answers, also Nikolai Diok and Shinaka Hodge. So, why is rhythm? It's not really something you explain, but something you dive into, something you swim inside, you walk on by. Like you see as this on Nikolai Diok. Who finished the MFA writing program here, right here, and provides his rhythm navigating the city, BC, San Diego, writing about trolley stops and cops, about bridges and underpasses where he says you can steal through folk for humanity, who wanders and writes about what a computer sounds like, and hears and writes about the rain on static fields, and dozens of tiny sharp teeth biting on lightning, who teaches and writes and polishes and tries to give voice to, quote, the overlook. Outside of the delinquent, oversexed young men raised by single parents in troubled neighborhoods, who writes about waking up to the sound of a shooting in the wooden face of a step, and about being captured in the city in institutions in yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, and for our I hated doing that stuff, you know. Now, some people, I think I like played stupid for a little bit, so. So no one would ask me. But um, thank you, thank you, Anna Joy, for, for inviting me. Um, it feels weird always to be on the other side of things. Um, I'm going to read from a nonfiction project. You guys hear me okay? Yeah. I'm going to read from a nonfiction project um, that I've been working on. So, eight months in Arizona. We were in the white van. I didn't get an erection for six months. Two staff members sat in front of me. One staff member sat behind me. The driver had his green hat on. Next to me was Garza. Directly behind me next to the staff member was Lewis. The inside of the van was tan. He sat on seats that weren't leather but tan in the same way. The ceiling and all the side panelings were a hard plastic tan. The desert was bright from the sun, making me want to swallow, sometimes seeing it through my eyelashes. From some dips and bumps, I could imagine the space in between the tires and metal shell. Closing close, leaving a very small amount of black space in between. The vans were pushing forward, tracing up and down tire made dirt paths. Inside, you could hear the sound of some single weed smacking against the chrome bumper. Me, Garza, Lewis, locking like mannequins, moving forward, back, left and right in the seats. Me and Garza sometimes touched arms. His felt warm and brown. That doesn't really matter. We were being driven through the desert to the bottom of a forest. One sapling was white. One sapling was Samoan. One sapling was Mexican. Lars was Mexican, Lewis was black. I was Bosque, 
French, Mexican, Irish, Scottish, Italian, Norwegian. The staff member driving was a Mexican. The one sitting behind me was Samoan. The white one was in the front side passenger seat, reading our files in the middle of folders. Yes, sir. Looks like we got some real geniuses with us today. Is that right, Mr. Stevens, sir? The driver said, just a talk voice, his body in a tan driver's seat with his green hat on, his haircut buzzed underneath like he did it daily, his neck, his shoulders, and arms, someone who lifts weights too much, a gorilla. Three counts of felony possession of sales. Look at mine, I thought, excited. How are you gonna say assault with a firearm? I'll say it was self-defense. You know what, I'll take that water though. Sorry. The staff members all had tan pants and tan shirts on. The floor was white metal scrape, not a flooring a normal van would have. It had that type of metal flooring where you could take out all the seats, throw in wheelbarrows, scrape in shovels and pits. We didn't know how to yet, but their pant legs were tucked up below their boots nicely ironed. Like not only did they take their time tucking them up, but also like they took their time ironing. Which one of you three geniuses is Garza? Robert Garza. I am. He said behind his breath like a badass. Small and Mexican. A typical gay member like everyone else I knew. A typical gay member just like me. Mr. Stevens launched out of the seat. The man slowed down coasting an idol. He grabbed on the Garza's head from behind his neck. With half his body still in the front seat. And those elbows pressed into Garza's stomach. Garza let out a grunt like an accidental fart. Yes, sir, you got that? Screaming on top of Garza's face. You got that? So I'll move on um, through the piece. Piece is. Uh, so it, we're on campus. This is a paramilitary um, boot can't stop institution for um, uh, very violent kids. When I say eyeballs, you're getting all your attention to me, Mr. Garcia. Use the V of his two fingers, point them at his own eyes, and sound off clear, sir. He roared. Eyeballs, gentlemen. Clear, clear, sir, sir. No, all at once time. Eyeballs, gentlemen, clear, sir, sir, all at one time. Eyeballs, gentlemen, clear, sir. Eyeballs, gentlemen, clear, sir. Inside the chapel. Mr. Garcia grabbed my shirt by the neck and shoulders, pushed me back, breaking the rolls of tin chairs, stopping after I fell back in mine, fell back still sitting in mine. He lifted me up on his shirt and screamed, who told you you could look around? His face and nose close on top of mine, the black in the back of his mouth. They say wolves have black mouths. The only small red eye of his, so close to my face, everything else was blurred. Like being right underneath the surface of water. Who told you you could look around? I mean, he couldn't have killed me not here, right? I was a detainee. Picking me up by the shirt and dropping me. Huh? Who told you you could look around? And if he picked me up one more time like that, I would purposely, with all my force, hit my head against the ground, hopefully nodding it up, suing, getting my charges dropped, I smiled. You think it's funny, boy? You can't kill me, I thought. You think this shit's funny? I was smiling, and his fat fists were against my chin like he was prodding me, pressing me down hard enough for all I could do was smile at him. He let go when I was pulled up and picked up by the back of my pants, going up my ass and by the back of my shirt, graded past all the tan shirts like that, up on the stage, out the back door into the heat, no longer smiling. So this is what it sounds like when a new face is in the chapel. Thank you, sir. 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 The rolls of tin chairs have been put back together. Lewis was sitting down in the chair next to mine. His head was crooked a little bit from behind. I felt everyone staring at me as I walked down the aisle. My arms moved wrong. My eyes got small. My pores opened and my face red. I sat down and locked it in. Put my hands straight up. Yes, sir. Mr. Garcia answered, whispered loudly. What's his name? Mr. Clerk said, biopsy, sir. I could tell they were both smiling at it. 
What the hell kind of name is that? Spammy, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Whatever the hell your name is. Sir, request permission to make a urination, sir. I don't know. We already did scheduled urinations, I believe. You mean, you want to make an unscheduled urination? <laughs> About half the red shirt's hand shot up. Yes, sir, thank you, sir. I still have my hand raised. Yes, sir, thank you, sir, what? He said amused. I don't know, sir. Well, do you or don't you need to urinate? Yes, sir, I do. I looked at him. He had a newspaper in his hand opened up in the air. Look straight ahead. He pointed a finger off the side of his paper at me. He said again, well, do you or don't you need to urinate? Yes, sir, I need to. You need to, sir. Yes, sir, I do need to, sir. We already made scheduled urinations. Every single red shirt had their hands straight up now. I heard guards just say, yes, sir, thank you, sir. All the words close together. He hustled down the aisle and sat down next to me, locked it in. Mr. Garcia picked out a red shirt directly in front of me. Mr. Warner, what do you want? In a cadence, like this is an everyday game they play, with a feet up on a desk. Sir, question permission to give the new gentleman positive feedback, sir. Warner, proceed. <laughs> sir, he said to me. Everybody put their arms down. I put my arm down and looked at him. He was looking straight into my face. He looked stupid. His blue eyes bouncing. He had the face of many girls. The group already made scheduled urination, sir. He had asked permission to make an unscheduled urination. We had ride on straight in the air at a 90 degree angle. Lewis made a hiss sound on top of his tongue and through his teeth. Warner locked it in, shot his hand back up, pink face and patches. What is it, Warner? Mr. Garcia exhaled it, and his voice like something's hired. Sir, request permission to protect my environment, sir. <laughs> Proceed, sir. One of the new gentlemen made a flat tire, sir. Who did it, Warner? He did, sir, and he pointed his finger at Lewis without looking at him. I put my hand back up. Mr. Lewis, you making flat tires over there? No, sir. Lewis said quietly like he wanted to be believed. Look straight ahead. Inside my body, my organs were shaking. My legs were shaking. Probably the only thing helping me was keeping my arm in there as straight as possible. How do you say his name again? Mr. Garcia said lowly. Via. What do you want? Sir, customers should make an unscheduled urination, sir. Proceed. I got up. The red shirt's hand shot up. Hands down, Mr. Garcia said. Sit back down. It's yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Try it again. I put my hand back up as straight as possible, more than straight. My other hand was shaking, on top of my leg above my knee. What do you want? Sir, request permission to make an unscheduled urination, sir. Proceed. Yes, sir, thank you, sir. Line up right there. Now. He walked, also had to ask permission to enter the restroom, just like when we went to the chapel. My legs were shaking. Sir, request permission to use the restroom, sir. Nope, hands down. It's permission to enter the head. Sir, request permission to enter the head, sir. Now. When you urinate, you sit down and take a little pee, and always keep the door open. Got that? Yes, sir. Enter the head. I moved a little, then stopped. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Then went into the restroom. It was extremely small. The door being pushed back open took up room. There was a toilet in the small sink that looked like it was a water fountain. There were dark orange urine already in the toilet. I threw the weed I had in my pants small pocket and flushed it. Put the toilet seat down while I'm buttoning my pants and turning around. I looked out between the wooden bars, but more like the shape of wooden legs on the furniture on a fixture that separated the restroom area from the rest of the chapel. He saw the red shirts locked in, looking straight ahead, some of their hands up. I saw, I sat. The dark brown wall of the fixture was all I could see. Hands down, Mr. Garcia yelled. I realized I was peeing sitting down. Draining both my kidneys and liver, it felt good. Controlling my penis with two fingers, the moist warmness of my pubic hair and pelvic bone, I felt, I felt a solid mass up in between my stomach and the of my asshole, like a big block letter T outside the chapel. The staff members circled and marched us. One sang song. Yo, Edo, El, right? Yo, Edo, El. One was behind me and yelled, get in step. Yo, Edo, El, right? Yo, Edo, El. He came up behind me. 
And I hear you say, can you hear that? Oh, right. Another staff member yelled, get in step, listen, can you hear that? Oh, right, oh, right. Next time I hear he whispered, left, right, left, right. Get in step. Now this is something you will only notice being in the back of lines marching, but it does look beautiful. The three very long columns of red shirts, shoulders making turns exactly at the same time. The first three make a little left turn on command, then the next three pivot, then the next three pivot, then the next three. All the way back to me. And it was my turn, it felt like I was coming out from the inside of a wave. Keep in step. So they launched us up to our barracks. Mr. Garcia's voice, okay, orientation. It sounded like he had his hands on his hips. We have some new gentlemen with us today. I want you guys to set a positive example. No sneaky behavior. No trying to find out where they're from. If they're your homies, if they live where you live. Mr. Stevens said, stand by if you catch anyone doing that. Mr. Garcia continued, I found out last shift there were a lot of problems in the head. People talking, moving around. A lot of gigs were given out and a lot of people lost their Sundays. Mr. Latu, then you guys act like babies about it when we have you out there. It's simple, gentlemen, Mr. Garcia continued. Follow directions, work hard, and you get to keep your Sundays now. This week we have a lot of work to do on campus, and if you guys do a good job, PT hard, work hard, we'll have some extra work and free time. Enter the barracks, prepare for bed, help the new gentleman out. As for my barracks, you guys stand by in your racks, right plank, and his patty cans. Fall out, ready, move. Yes, sir, thank you, sir. Oh, what is your boot heels ran? Guards to follow them. Yes, sir, thank you, sir. Mr. Stevens said, center. In his cadence, fall out, ready, move. Yes, sir, thank you, sir. Mr. Lewis, you're with us, follow. The best of last, Mr. Latou said. Walking on gravel towards me in a yellow shirt. Come on, guys, ready, move. Yes, sir, thank you, sir. The boots tip tapped right up behind me. I felt breath on my neck like someone had sailed out their nose. So I'm going to skip around a little bit, uh, like 60 pages or so. But they might work. Hopefully it's still aesthetically pleasing and all that good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. How long had it been? One full day, two days, a gentleman would start dying. Of course, these are things that we only know and feel, something equivalent to a rumor. This is 1996, by the way, 95-96. In 98, they killed a new kid in two weeks. In 96, at their sister institution, they found a dead new old gentleman face down in the canal. There's a reason why the Tapatio bottles got changed to plastic ones. It had started in the morning, waking up from a dream of red-faced exhaustion, only after hit the floor with both feet and shirt tucked in your little underwear. Then spend that morning getting yelled and spit on. Then spend that day getting physically adjusted, straightened, folded, yelled and spit on by other men. That hate got formed like the settling of mental illness. Then the plan got devised like an inhaling and exhaling breath. At dinner, it was Garza, Mr. Garcia, gentleman Rodriguez, and Gates at the same table. Some staff members chew their food like they're mad at it. Some chew it watching like it's disgusting. Others two were just watching. Garza did this thing. He shot his hand up perfect. And because Mr. Garcia was at his table, no other staff member was called on him. So he sat there perfect for a little while. Mr. Garcia, while finishing chewing, alternating between drinking some water, asked him what does he want. Sir, request permission to use the condiment, sir. Quietly though. Yes, sir, thank you, sir. He whispered quickly. With enthusiasm of a boys Republic champ, reached in and secured the bottle. And he stood up in his chair in the same quick manner and attempted to bash on top of Mr. Garcia's head. I say attempted because it didn't shatter. It said it bounced off the bone of his head and rocked it up in the air, sounding like a rock hitting a metal fence post. That night, towards the end, being close to hitting the racks, I raised my hand on my rack and requested permission to talk to Mr. McClure, to speak with him at the appropriate time. Outside, but once in the rack, I was told he could dress and grab my cover. You do these things very fast and feeling special. I met him right outside in the barracks door with his arms crossed, a type of night and a place that seems to envelop you. 
Shadows and hand gestures don't look the same. I saw a night staff with his cover on too, smoking a cigarette against a tree. Two other night staff met up in front of Barracks 30 and shook bare hands. One was extremely thin in his jacket. No helicopters or planes ever fly over here, only to do a life flight. Somewhere over these hills in Tucson was my great grandmother. She was 97 and laughed when she crapped on herself and still drink a bottle of vodka that day like a true Italian. I remember when visiting her as a kid, seeing my mom's boyfriend slap my mom's face while half a cookie was sticking out of her mouth. My mom stood there in the gravel dirtway between the two peach-colored houses with fluorescent food doors and laughed and laughed at him. Sir, I want to talk about changing my life. I tried to change before, sir, in the streets when I, when I left my gang, but I remembered I was scared, sir, because I always was one of those ones who used to say that if someone left, I still, still pretend to be their friends. They go over to their house, and when I meet them, give them a hug and stab them in the back, sir. My mom always said that one day I'm sure that I'd snap out of it, and I did. I started to hate my gang friends and everything they did. They were racist, sir, and the ones I did care about were in life numbers. But I didn't know what to do, sir, or who to talk to. I was lonely. So I ended up having the same kind of friends, but just not in gangs. I was still locked in, but found out I didn't have to be, and jested off the side of my pants with my pointy thumb and fist, that night, I walked back into the barracks and backs of gentlemen with their eyes open as, as they had been listening. I undressed at the rack and got in. Beginning of sleep, I started off cozy as a sinking through a mattress and past bed screens. Before I went to sleep that night, I told Mr. McClure, Good night, sir. The next shift changed about seven new gentlemen. Some of them didn't even know English. Some of them looked young enough to have been mistaken along the streets for missing or abducted children, rather than run away gang members, what they really were. Boise Republic lost all of Alameda County because of what happened to Garza, totaling about 40 residents. Boise got supplemented no matter ASAP. Missile got two stuff his cow hoops out the van last to get out of the course because that's the only place he can fit. The new young men lined up in the rest of the place and the rep with the rest of the group. We go to PT immediately. To say you wouldn't enjoy fucking one of, one of us up right when you step onto the work site. After a five and a half hour drive, after only being home with your family, if you can have one for three and a half days, about to be away for four days straight after failing in college sports, all those hopes and dreams crushed, after coming out of the military, kids from races that you hate, and you were teaching your kids to subtly hate, maybe after spending two years in college, rumors that state employed custodians make only 6,000 a year less than you, well then you wouldn't, couldn't be working here for that long, and the tears should will run down your face. If I was to pretend again to be a day one gentleman, that exercise you meet on your first PT is so harsh you can feel the cilia in your own lines. They first had us do back and forth runs in the dirt across the creek near the amphitheater. Mr. Latou, Stevens, and Mr. Garcia circled our three lines, while Mr. Warren and Mr. McKay stood cross arms away from the group watching and exchanging information. The new gentlemen were getting hands slapped on for not knowing the cadence or how to sound off. Let's go, big go, let's go, and clack, clack. And then some new gentlemen would be getting thrown to the ground where you could see all their teeth because of being grabbed and screamed on the first day. Sack would snatch you up from the neck if you were bending forward and trying to catch air. You only have conscious of your penis when it hurts. In the middle of after doing a few runs, a new gentleman started crying warm little boy tears. Mr. Stevens went up to his face, and when he didn't stop crying, he swooped him up and carried him by the belt to the bottom of the amphitheater steps. There they made him lay on his back and do legless, while they circled around and yelling baby, little girl, and big boy shit. Trying to see him was like seeing a campfire being circled from afar. They ask you to do the impossible, something physical that your body will fail. They know, so they can put your hand, so they can physically attack you. And what are you going to do about that? They do it on purpose, to see how you react. One good thing about three lines is that each line is a different barracks. 
When it's your time to take off, it's competitive. And being second in line, getting ready to go, the dirt your peer picks up makes you want to come in first faster. You learn other ways to get through the program faster. Another one is to be a standout motivator. You can tell who's been in orientation the longest because their bodies move lean like horse muscles. It's a snap in all their movements. You'll learn to do something like the class during cadence or to yell at the black hole of your mouth by motivating gentlemen, let's go gentlemen, anything to score, any kind of rest to be part of those who can hang the longest. I began to want to show off. Two staff and peers that I was modern marble. I gained confidence in my body, but more importantly, here in my mind, the staff can put their hands on you anytime they want, and that's what makes you do the impossible. Another way to get to the program faster. A board of other new gentlemen, very small and very grind, took two to three steps when he was running to every one of our own. Did it still didn't make him run any faster, just an image for people to laugh at later. When he crossed the line, he threw up something yellow at the bottom of our feet where it stayed. We were told to lock it in. Staff moved up from afar and watched us. The faces of red-cheeked gentlemen with colored-looking chairs, sweating under the sun and resting on the rising dirt, something perverse. It's hard, though. The skeleton around your lungs feels like a coat hanger. Gentlemen breathing so hard you can hear wheezing and whimpers. I try to breathe through my nose and lock my head at the top of my spine and my neck and put so weight to my knees to stop from swaying but still stand up straight and wait for the sound of staff walking up to snatch me, snatch someone from behind me, snatch someone off to the side of me, and carry them off somewhere too warm. So, I'm going to move a little bit further. There are some things no one knows. You only get four squares of toilet paper to use for defecation. I mean, your whole life has been full of waste, taking advantage of the situation, and lack of discipline. What if you're out of money? They can only afford to buy one roll of toilet paper a month. That's reality. A tube of toothpaste, in order to exchange it, had to be flattened as a credit card, or you would get a gig. What if you ran out of suntan lotion at the beach and didn't have enough to put on your daughter? Your whole life you've been living off other people, taking from other people, wasting other people's resources, taking no responsibility of your own. Inside the barracks, we were making scheduled urinations and defecations. We got two new gentlemen to fill the empty slots. One was a big-eyed white boy named Shu. The other was the border brother, who barely knew any English at all. They stood and locked in facing us on the other side of the quarterdeck. Their black bags were next to them on the floor. Mr. Latou said from behind his desk, from in his chair, you gotta urinate or defecate. The new gentleman, Martinez, stared in the wilderness. Mr. Latou said, tiredly, loud enough with a tainted, hey, you gotta shit or pee, boy. I got to shit, he said with a snort or smile, hands shut up all over the barracks. It's like standing in front of a classroom and you're the new guy. While you notice the teachers looking at him doing paperwork, you take the opportunity to throw your gang sign the hardest fuck to ever not be out there mad about you. When it was Shu's turn to use the head, that's exactly what Martinez did. Throw up Logan Heist, the Pelican, locked it in front of his line of sight. Hands shot up all over the barracks. This was about two yelled hands down. Stomped over and grabbed Martinez on his shirt, who started smiling. And he swung him into the supply cabin, making a clap. And he swung him out the front door of the barracks by the shirt. He could hear them barking at him in the distance. Pretty far as the group was left alone in the barracks, locking on our racks. The sound sounded like it was coming from an enclave. Some place deep between the trees where the ground is full of bees, a place where actually you find accidentally dead animals. There were other noises too. Gentlemen breathing, a quick faint clear of a throat, the sound of someone quickly scratching fabric, the sound of something that sounded quickly like an eraser bit being rubbed on, on a metal side of a rack. Outside my window, there were other noises too. A black woman printing itself in the dirt, a leaf being moved across the ground as heavy as breath. I could feel the whites of eyes staring inside through the window, hands on a wire mesh with a screen on the corner. She would become some kind of character of comic relief. His eyes so wide and blue, you'd expect only a frizzy-headed old man to have. He was tall, too, a wide frame that bordered on a grid. 
Mr. McKay walked in the barracks, then Mr. Warren, then Mr. Latu, men with lots of keys in their pockets. Mr. Warren said, hey, so you want to be sneaky? And every time he yelled, he ended in a fat lip. Mr. McKay said, look, we try to give you gentlemen a chance to prove yourselves. And what do you do? Take advantage of the situation. Mr. Latu said, yes, sir. Mr. Warren said, it's real simple, gentlemen. One, two, three. One, sir. One, two, three. Two, sir. They made us take off, they made us take off our shirts and PT us at our racks. Then had us strip our mattresses and put them on the floor and sleep on the racks without them. Cover our heads with a sheet so no one could see us being sneaky. Months later, we affectionately called this process Desert Spank instead of Desert Storm, which a lot of these staff members were veterans of. When I woke up the next morning, I saw the back of Snor Martinez in a yellow shirt, already lined up at the quarterback. At the pantry, they told us to lock it in. When you hear the word prepare, some gentlemen like to make eye contact while staring at the faces in front of them. I always stare a little down or away, not because I took too much LSD on the streets, but to avoid getting caught playing any games. Maybe it would flaw because some of these kids before Arizona were the kind that had groups of cysts in their face coming home from high school. 26 tables of four. One by one tables filed out from front to back, leave out the pantry side door. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thanks, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. They make way for phase two and three. They might be stuck in double time march at the pantry doors for a little while, depending on how their day went so far. We hustle out the side door, run down the small ramp, red shirts and tan pants and white shoes, all running space a few feet away from each other like cheaply done cartoons, file out onto the street to make ranks. We march to in front of the schoolhouse. This is late in the day. Square lights were turned on. The group halted. Phase one marched by. They started filling in their barracks. Next to phase one is the staff parking lot. Outside camp, there's roads the shape of lightning bolts, where a wrong turn can lead some over dirt ledge. On the far other side of campus, there's a laundry room next to the nurse's station. There's a campsite on the other side of the fence with oversized concrete, dark brown benches. What kind of people go there? There's a creek running. The amphitheater is in the back across the bridge. Me and Cisneros get called out, falling out at the same time. We say, yes, sir, thank you, sir. We pivot 180s on the street and run to the staff to tell us to lock it in at the bottom of the steps. Cisneros, either in shiny black boots or white tennis shoes, always had the smallest feet I've ever seen. Like he took pride in them being small. Me and Cisneros were marching to the schoolhouse to the left-hand classroom where we usually had our bowls. Being red shirts and immediately told to lock it in in front of a few phase three and phase two gentlemen, you see Mr. Hartner and other staff members, ship supervisors. Besides Mr. Hartner, there were other staff members working on getting psychological and clinical degrees. Imagine if they were all just like cops, recruiting only ex-athletes, military vets, or probation officers. There's a head in the upper left-hand corner of the classroom that they let me and Cisneros use. Staff members from other phases don't like to go through the motions. Mr. Hartner especially seemed to hate it. All bathroom procedures phase one in orientation style, leaving the door open, sitting down, asking permission to enter and exit the head, to wash your hands. They shout go, annoyingly, or say enter before the end of the sentence. Mr. Hartner will pretend he doesn't even know you exist. Everything we do is scheduled. So marching by orientation, or marching by phase one, two, three times a week, you'll see someone urinating in their tans. A small 10 to 20 minutes after pantry, gentlemen start to sway in lines. People start shooting with their hands to request permission for unscheduled urinations. Sometimes holding it so hard my tongue went down. There was a blue-eyed, light-skinned Mexican who it was hard to tell by his face what exactly his crimes were, but you could tell he was definitely a joker. His eyes the whitest of the group as we marched by. I saw he had the same urine-soaked hands on for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Small bladder boys get waking up every hour during the night for punishment. If you turn into a yellow shirt or white shirt for this reason, you'll tram behind the group holding buckets of your soiled clothing. At pantry, they separated them from the rest of the group so they could be outside. It's a semicircle. 
Mr. Harner always introduces a TV with VCR and paperwork. He has a shuffling of a group. He is from Boston. You're reminded of it in how he speaks and from his haircut. And he starts the group out with a loud back of the throat sounding now. The group was about hiding. On the chalkboard, he put up two posters, one showing a gang member like us with full facial pubic hair, sunglasses, and hat, staring at the camera looking hard. The second was an Arizona Boys Republic graduating, shaved off with a ceremonial cap and gown and open mouth smiling. Mr. Hartman started asking questions. Why does he need to hide behind all this makeup, pointing to the pictures? Why all this change? And so well, even the way phase two or phase three gentlemen sat in chairs and moved around, showed the difference in maturity. He has nothing to feel guilty about, sir. Much different from the time when he was a gang member. Explain more, 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 more. He glazed over the room. While glazing over means to scenarios, he briefly showed his teeth, open mouth smiling. They kept looking around Matthews. He now has something he can take pride in. We're talking about hiding. Yes, sir, he's with his mom in the picture when graduating. We're talking about hiding. What does that have to do with anything? Because he's doing something good, sir, he has no reason to hide. What are some things we hide behind? Andrew, my gang, sir, what does that mean? I wanted to join it. I don't get it. I wanted to commit crime, sir. I wanted to do drugs. So, you use your gang as an excuse. Great. Who else thinks to hit behind their gang? All the tans put their hands up. New guy. Even though he knew my name, Mr. Hartman always wore shorts and a t-shirt. I don't think I hit behind him, sir. I wanted to be one. Who would want to be a gang member? I don't know, sir. Me. I think you just don't give a fuck. Said a face to the gentleman. Rolled his eyes. Mr. Hartman smiled his walrus teeth. Staff members' eyebrows went up and down. This in regards for gang members just being gang members. Group just picking someone apart. Everyone was half right and half wrong. Thank you. Hello again. Uh, so, Vice Regal, Jeanette Hellich has her own version of the answer. Walking through banners, writing through spoken word, through rap and sweeps and poems and essays and plays, we got her MFA from USC School of Cinematic Arts and traveling through California and the Bay Area and LA and today here in San Diego. And we write with a keen sense of urgency of what needs to be said, of what needs to be written. Of quote, a white daughter born to Oakland's most tragic black family, mm-hmm. of Robin King, of IG, of dealing, of processes, of bullet, bulletproof vests, who teaches and is featured on videos where hipsters say, I need brains, <laughs> who raps with the get back, who deals with MCs and kids and hubs and hopes. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, Shinagarach. So if you're quiet and no one will learn, I will learn, you won't learn. So feel free to respond, back, stretch, ashe, amen, lahayim, hallelujah, whatever, whatever tickles your boat or finds you fancy. Um, I'm just going to read poems if that's okay. Uh, I went to college in New York. It was great, except for this thing that happens there every year called winter. And um, I, I'm from the Bay Area, and most of my friends went to UC Santa Cruz, and so I get this like weekly phone call from the beach. Or you guys understand from the beach. You got the calls you guys make to your friends on the East Coast. Um, this poem is called "For Those of You Who Must Know How I Am Doing in New York." It's the part where the phone gets on board with the relay. There we go. Okay. For those of you who must know how I'm doing in New York. 
One, yesterday I come to with a three-foot shotgun wedged against my chest. Shotgun? I don't even own a pistol. Still, it lay slung between this breast and that. Piss trembling in my bowels, scared at first of the metal, then I didn't recognize the gun as an arm, and the arm as my own. I gasped myself lucid, tripped the breath out of my body, exhale, affirm, no bullets, no convulsing, no body, no sweat. Every day begins like this. Two. I've come to respect the hustle that stuck me for my hella and replaced it with the mad. I respect the rats. Rats. Rats on top of rats plus the cocoa bread fitted caps, mix and nets, jets and giants, Yankees, baseball, grace, papaya, tracks, tracks, tracks on top of tracks plus the mixtapes on the blankets and the summer train station that's thinking on a platform of tights. Just out of pampers driving hard bargain, $2 M&M peanuts for make-believe hoop squads. Everyone sells you something if you're buying, I swear. Heaven's got turnstiles and a Bronx native on this side swiping folks in on his week-long unlimited in return for loose change. Things are getting sold. Time is like money. Cash is like air. Dirty. Hard to hold down. You better watch your wallet, son. Three. And how come she got to be such a loud broad? Always starting beef at 6 a.m. In the summer, she's funky. When it's cold, she's grimy. I can't get with this big apple chick. Though the shape of her eyes and hips are toxic, thought I could seep into her, but it's too much of a lifestyle change. New York is one of those crazy women who would like, she would like, slash her lover's tires, then get his name tatted on her breast, a trauma and it's inverse. <laughs> I fiend for home, though he's mad quiet on the phone, just the thought of him guards me here. Four, so the general consensus is that I'm made up of walls. Been pensating on the usefulness of such. Think of all the crannies I must have waiting to be filled with prayer. The woman in babushka and hijab standing nearby wailing the bricks to tilt your back into on bleaker while inhaling a chest of Marlboro fumes. If I'm a wall, I'm where you hung your first Biggie, Biggie Smalls poster, how it left tape scars when you moved. This is not about La Frontera. This is not about bunkers over there and over there. My war is silent. I fight it with dorm walls, push at them in the early morning. Fain they are my ugly lover for years, unsure of their existence. So yeah, I'm about mortar, about consistency, about creating a space near my navel that manufactures shade in mid-August queens. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he'll arrive, sweat sticky, panting needing me for respite. But the men I date don't show up like that. They come toting wrecking ball, bulldozer, mad for conquest and absconding with my heart. Of course, I'm on this side, terrorized, sobbing, guarded in a city far from here with walls this high five. Spent six years coming to dream my body steel, create these arms as weapons, bear them daily, sub hella with mad, replace mad with anger. My skin is stretching to accommodate woman. Don't expect it not to pain. I'll walk like the devil sidled up my thighs. I play better with myself. And then ever here, a nightmare of guns, because I'm here and metal rules the world. You can clap all that, like, whenever. You can clap whenever. I'm working on a series of, of poems that I think is going to culminate in a book called Dated MCs. And um, it's basically like. Uh, the last 30 years in hip-hop with my own love life like superimposed <laughs> over it. So um, lots of poems about like Jay and Beyonce, but really about me and my ex, or like uh, like that. So um, this next one I'm going to do is for my mother, who, um, this is for my mom. It's called Lose Yourself. About Illinois more than it is about Michigan, 
about Kankakee corn more than it is about Eight Mile, about lighting things on fire and watching them dart the dance out of themselves, about smoking hot whiteness in the center of my black mother's eyes. If she had been born later, paler, more west, my mother would be Marshall Mathers. I know that guy? Okay. Anybody got no Marshall Mathers? <laughs> my mother would be Marshall Mathers. She would pick meat from rappers' bones for sport like she does now, the way Eminem has always done. Keep it 100. My mom has always liked country and western, fancied sad ballads about unremarkable towns, and has painstakingly coffined sequins in the maize field behind her own mother's house. Once, she told me she lost herself on the short drive between her room on South Southbrook Avenue and the ice cream parlor where she shoveled electric blue dessert for Klansmen. Knew my mother was the biggest thing in Kankakee, the brightest, most often light chokes. My mother has always been a genius at the end of a rope, a disaster waiting to happen in the grocery. So when we first saw the movie and she watched her black, quiet, 40-something-year-old self lodge inside the body of a young white boy, pasted inside a black culture being nothing but unabashedly himself, I won't lie to you and tell you my mother cried, and my mother's too hard to ever cry off a rap song, but if you were there, like me, you would have seen her darkest light brighten. She quoted lyrics all through our holiday dinner preparation, <laughs> painting the house, repeating her favorite bit, mom's spaghetti. <laughs> mom's spaghetti. She boils the noodles, steam plays in her silver hair, knife shakes in her hands, her palms are sweaty. About Illinois as much as crazy hospitals, about Kankakee as much as hating Grandma, about time as much as losing it, about minds as much as losing it. Let's see it at that point. It's here. You know, very find your center and your balance. Um, I'm working on this piece. Um, it's a new writing series, so I figured I'd bring new writing. Um, this one is called The Ballad of Hollywood Cole or The Ballad of Hollywood Court. He's a, for those of you who don't know, he's a character that appears in an outcast song called Spodi Audi Dopalicious. Um, and he, at the end of the song, he basically like beats everybody in the club up and that's how the song ends. Um, and so I began to investigate him and other characters in hip hop and how they might perform it before or after the scene in the question. The Ballad of Hollywood Cole. In his hallway mirror the evening in question, he resolves to be still tonight. No incident. Couple drinks with the boys, maybe hit the strip club, early work in the morning, eyes a low-hanging photo. His now deceased grandfather, wincing for the pose, a coal miner first, then a railman, named his unlucky boy for grandeur. Funny cause all coal do is see canaries. Started hacking up soot on his 25th birthday. Dust mop floors at Hartsfield International Airport using his cousin's name badge two Thursdays a month. That financed his new button-up habit in knuckle salve. Per court order, Hollywood sports a crisp shirt to anger management group at Browns Mill Rec Center. Figures he get an evening use out of the expense too. Hollywood turn right, then halfway, then three quarters in the mirror, inspects the warp and weft of his collar, mimics grandpa's smile, stares himself, sees no teeth, a cobweb engulfing a spider, sees himself a trap and prey. Must be the old English, nothing new to speak. His lips closing around glass, knocks back the end of the malt, hits the club. Everything goes wrong. DJ keeps wheeling, set it off. City, uh, 
DJ keeps reeling up, set it off, city girls act high yellow. Somebody spills drink down the right arm or maybe the left, it all blends together, let the liquor tell it. Hollywood feel the burst of light as he clears a mouth of his teeth, the soft gush of flesh like a thousand bugs rushing from dawn. He is all nets, arachnid now, eight arms into the body, the body, the body of another black boy. He sinks his cagey bite into the neck, takes tomorrow he does, feel like a new man, invincible, 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 or invisible maybe. Ellison, he cried. He tear down his chest, popping buttons like shelling nuts. Beat of sweat traces naked crease near his falling breath. He gasped hard, gasped hard again. Now he sobbed. He say, now who else wanna? F who else wanna? F who else wanna fuck with Hollywood? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
on any given day. Today, more so than usual, uh, last Wednesday more so than usual, um, I think that the lack of indictments in both cases, both in Ferguson and Staten Island, speak um, urgently and critically towards the need for a different view of black men in this country at bare minimum. Um, there's this case, there's lots of cases, more than we can name, Oscar Grant, Trayvon Martin, uh, Eric Garner, Mike Brown, um, but the case that hits the closest to me and will end up in the dated MCs as well is um, the story of Jordan Davis. Anybody familiar with Jordan Davis? Jordan Davis was 17 years old. Um, it was about this time in two, 2012, it was Black Friday, and uh, he's sitting in the parking lot of a gas station in his town of Powder, Florida. Um, he was in the car, he's listening to music with some friends of his, um, kind of really not bothering anybody or anything. Um, a civilian pulls up in the car, the civilian happens to be a middle-aged white man named Michael Dunn. Um, Dunn basically pulls up into the car, honks the window, the boys roll down the window, Dunn asks them to turn the music down, they're like, nah, uh, we're at a gas station, it's cool. Um, and then Michael Dunn proceeds to open nine rounds into the car, killing Jordan Davis, injuring two of the black boys in the car, goes home, orders a pizza, has a bottle of wine, um, and then calls the cops um, on himself. Um, and it's the sort of thing that, like, this is the day after Thanksgiving in 2012, so uh, it's the thing that hit closest to me because I'm most likely at 30 years old in California to be sitting in a gas station listening to the music extra loud. Um, for Jordan Davis. There are few places of respite for a 17-year-old black boy, <laughs> least the state of Florida. This I have learned a few times over. The ground is viscous and holds past. The streets is vicious and hold fast. Boys there feel meek, feel childish, feel bleak, feel big. Sean or Wallace pops like pop or dotted like K. It's the city that's mad. They all good kids at the end of their year. When a black boy has already been deaded and everyone has memorized his name so no one knows me, yet it's too fast. We die double time always threats, even if I locked myself into a mental case or a metal case with my best friends at a nothing gas station, the sound turned up so loud we can't help but, help but to feel the bass in the base of our necks when the system yanks us the closest we ever feel to God. Every other instant we are hunted, haunted, wanted, vaunted, attacked, so black, dark, alone, what is there to say but go ahead, turn the music up. Rock snapbacks and skinny jeans, round neck sweatshirts, love the crew, live for the weekend, die by Friday in the lights of a pump. I'll be your threat at a petrol stop in the center of an economy surrounding gas. All it takes is a flame to make this moment a bomb and this joint is fire. It ain't our music killing. The thug, a man, knocks on our windows, tells us to turn it down and hell no, and we exchange words, trade eights, rounds spill into the car and our murderer walks away whistling Dixie and Logic lynchings and reason. We are but boys crying, mercy, so thirsty. We've cashed in our tea, our hoodie, our fun-sized candies, New Year's Eve smiles, our bachelor parties, even the corners of our homes we have hidden everywhere, everywhere, everywhere you can hide a black body we have gone there only to find we are still unsafe, even amidst our bars. And here he come, my new danger, with an agenda, a complaint, a firearm, around, then two, then nine, then leave. Us just boys shot up in time. He fall away and say he's standing his ground. Well, so am I. Mm -hmm. So he's gone now and so am I. 
save the metal rattling the bumper, the flashing lights of a too late ambulance. And this is what it is to be 17 with a life wish, wanting a song stuck in your head and instead getting a bullet. this way. I got this six, six sense of premonition and hey, bet you notice in my posture way, open with an Oscar tardy on my way out. Hope you get your spray out. Never see me splayed out. I duck fast. No master come gunning for me. He test eye, rest eyes open watching the scene. But I won't be caught dead. Rather live it up free. But the weight of this dress has been weighing on me. And it's hard to move softly in an iron fatigue. Meaning I run fatigues. Meaning I'm creased at the seams. Meaning I'm beasting with dreams. Meaning I'm boasting of things both when I'm coaxed off my dean. And it's so hard to focus when I hold on the scene. And it's scope elongated when I post in my dreams. I mean, every black girl, everyone, even me, their pits poked, prodded, and sold on the cheap. It's part of a process, part of what haunts her. Fucks up the rhymes, he makes it a monster. Harder to breathe, harder to speak. Sorry to beat drop, but sometimes there is no meter. Just repeating lines, just consecutive sentences like the ones being served by the boys I grew up with. They are turning men behind four inches of glass in this poem. I'm walking with my feet turned inward, and the gate of my stalking grows short and uh, unfinished because, uh, Ever since he made me touch it, the words don't come like they used to. And I don't blame anybody, but I don't feel like talking about it. I feel like sitting at the back of the bus, eating sunflower seeds, dyeing my hair purple, cussing a motherfucker out, controlling something, something, anything besides this dress masquerading as my body. It seems so steel these days. No chest to fear, fear these days. I don't die, I am told. I multiply, but the schools say I can't add right. So forget trying to act right. Struck by the black knight of my own depression. Unmedicated, undiagnosed, bipolar like low and North Pole like arms and elbows. Turf dancing around poor education and substandard air quality has made me expectant of death. They say the girls from West Oakland got no self-respect. Well, that's all I have left. I invest in the dress that protects all my best, and sometimes I miss love while dodging the drama. It's tinted to my knees in this bulletproof armor. Mm. see myself in a game like that way. I'm getting there. Um, I'm doing it piecemeal right now, so gigs at colleges and universities make up a huge chunk of what I do. Um, I also teach English and creative writing one day a week as a classroom like supplemental educator um, in high schools up and down California. I 
work for uh, an interesting publication right now called the California Sunday Magazine. It's brand new. Our third issue comes this Sunday in your LA Times if you get it, or in uh, your New York Times if you get it on this coast. Um, so it's basically like that. I have 50 million jobs. My, uh, my neighbor gets my 1099s for me like, in the mail, and at the end of the year, he just scoops up all different like, <laughs> random like, earnings. I'd say like some tricks of the trade. I, I tried to charge like under five. Like if they're trying to pay me six hundred dollars for a show, I ask them to pay me five ninety nine because I don't have to report that. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, but a, a lot of piecemeal and a lot of saying yes and a lot of like meeting people in place, like bookstores, coffee shops, trains, airplanes, constantly talking about myself as a writer. Um, it's the only way I've done it, and this I'm like. In my third year of being a full-time writer, artist, performer, and like just getting to solve it, just getting there, and fending off creditors and debtors. That's why I don't answer voice, you know. Washington State, I don't know nobody there. <laughs> um, yeah, so right now I'm working on this nonfiction piece for a class, and I've been working on it for so long. And it's just gotten to the point where it's just like, like, how do I get through this? You know what I mean? It's hard to like just bring myself to the desk, like with the piece, like working on it. So, do you guys encounter like you know similar things? Like, and if so, like how do you just get over that hump? I have a permanent state of writer's block. <laughs> to think of it that way, and maybe there's a little bit less pressure there. So, I mean, if you have a draft or something, you're you're in a good space, and I like to remind my students of that. You're in the best time ever to be a writer, just in terms of technology. Like, you don't have to find a rock and chisel into it. You don't have to find a quill. You don't have to even, like, re-spool, re, re like, typewriter. <laughs> um, so allow yourself mistakes. You have, you have an infinite amount of pixels to work with and an infinite amount of screens, and, like, fuck up a little bit. Um, don't put so much pressure on it. I guarantee you, if you've been working on it for a long time, it's good enough to turn in right now. And if you're trying to perfect it, you probably won't perfect it. You gotta just let that go. But if you're trying to get it really good, trust that you can do that. And that happens through like lots of mistakes. Why well, do it too? Like, um, you know, I don't like to do it on a computer um, for the most part. Like, I like to do it on paper. I like to do it on like chalkboards, dry erase boards. Do you write in your mirror? Sometimes. Sometimes I'll write something, but. Um, I can't think of it in, being like in prose or anything like that, but um, I don't know, seeing things um, somewhere else sometimes helps a lot too, or at least it has for me. But um, the computer thing, it's like I do everything on that. Email, you know, fuck around for like six, seven hours, you know, waste a lot of time, so like how can you write there too? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, it's always been something that's bugging me. There's other places. Speaking to a reporter, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I often, like when my students are especially stuck, I like put the paper away and just tell me what you're trying to say. I get a friend who you really trust to write it down verbatim um, and allow them to make your line breaks or periods or whatever. And generally something really beautiful comes out of that as well. Um, she had her hand in it. What's your name? Demi. Demi. I really, really loved your poetry um, in so many ways. And there were <clears throat> a few lines from each one, um, from each of my favorites that stuck out to me. I was wondering if I could ask you about them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the first one that you read out, um, for those of you who must know how I'm doing in New York, mm -hmm. um, I that really resonated with me because I wanted to end up in New York, and I think I still will someday. Um, and the line I loved was uh, tricking the breath out of my body. Could you talk more about what that means to you, what that meant to 
work, but that is actually my, my daily. I'm just surprised that I'm alive every day I wake up. Um, and I feel like I have to do some coaxing to like be here and present. And part of that's just the general melancholy of choosing life as a writer. Um, but yeah, that's what that line is about. I, I feel like I have to trick myself into it every day. And on, on being the other woman, I love the line where you say it, it's as if the three of us are aligned here together. Um, when you were writing that, I, I wonder if you were switching personas while you were in the process of writing, and did you do that? Or? I tried to stay in my voice the whole way through. Okay. I spent so much time in the relationship putting myself in her shoes, mm-hmm. um, and I so much time in the relationship true. like allowing him all kinds of stuff. I read you a lot of poems that I wrote while I was in college today, um, just because I feel like I don't know, maybe it's helpful. <laughs> um, and the good news is I'm like way past that with him and yeah. we're friends again and he's heard me read that poem out. He's a poet as well, first of all. I'll do that. If you can help it, stay far away from the other writers. Um, but uh, he's he hears it now and he can hear all of it in there and it's therapeutic in some ways. But yeah, I, I tried to keep I tried to stay in my own persona the whole way through that poem. Um, and my last question was I love your word life wish in the last line of the last poem. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a subversion of a death wish, I presume. Mm-hmm. So how did you get there? Exactly that. Um, like I'd, li- I'd love to subvert and subsume death, especially when it comes prematurely, especially when I think it comes at some with some amount of injustice. Um, and so, you know, that whole poem is like me flipping hip-hop lines and hip-hop personas on their head, all the things I think you might have been listening to. And, you know, he was a JRTC student, he was 17, he was a, top, he was a 4.0 honor student, like, he had every reason to want to live, and I think we assume often that black boys are just, like, nefarious and dastardly, and I think sometimes it's good to be reminded that he's a kid and he wanted, he wanted to live. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, thank you both. I'm up good. <laughs> um, my question is for Shab, that thinking about how you're using space over here when you're performing, do you think of it as choreography or is it very like place and moment based? How you, how you incorporate the physical moment? Yes and yes. Uh, <laughs> there's some choreography to it. Some of these poems I perform so much that I have to like be mindful of like sometimes I'll float away in the middle of the poem and I'm, like dancing up here and <laughs> like what's going on? <laughs> did I stop? Did I cut off for two and a half minutes? Um, and then some of it is, you know, I'm part of the slam scene, that's how I got my start, so I'm really particular at times about feet and placement and hands, and then other times I gotta let the choreography go and let the poem come out, and I try and read the audience and see how, how much they're willing to let me juke or pop and laugh or do West African dance in the middle of my poem. <laughs> so I'm just kind of like split the difference with the room today, but you might see that poem when I perform it at West Oakland, and I'll give myself much more time to, to dance. I'm trying to be cool. I, I came up in the West African dancing before I found writing, mm-hmm. and I think I put all that to the side, and so I'm now like trying to piece together parts of it. Questions for Nicole? This is cool. <laughs> Any other questions here? Well, I have a question for Nicole. Um, that's I, I love I love that work, and, and I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so. I mean, it just especially also for people who are in the MFA program where you were a couple of years ago, but you know, everyone like, what's working like yeah. after? It's cool. Um, I and, mean, and I'm the only professor here, I think, so you can. Know. Yeah, it was Christina. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's out of she's out of country. No, no, no. I understand. I understand. Um, what's well, you know, when I first what are you graduated, working on? What are you doing? How's all this coming out? What's going on? 
like a like this. You just read a whole other book. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's you know, I was when I first graduated, I worked at the casino for like a year, right? And so for some reason, that's not like emotionally taxing. I mean, I'm not making any excuses, but like doing the English thing, uh, like I'm not even really qualified for that job. Like I didn't really teach myself like prepositions and like, uh, uh, you know, I can't, yeah, commas. Like I can't even, <laughs> I had to teach myself. And thank God for Google. I don't know how old school people did it, but like <laughs> I spent 10 hours to prepare for one. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's been a little taxing. And then so most of the work I've been doing this, this year, I'm teaching creative writing. Um, I mean, helping other people, uh, and it's, so it's it's really cool though. Like it teaches me a, a lot of things being on that other side. And then I helped. I'm a little bit with Mark Danielewski's new book, mm-hmm. uh, The Familiar. So I've been doing a lot of writing for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, this I've been doing um, on the side because it's like, you know, it's my baby. Like I always think about it. Mm-hmm. So when I can, um, you know, I add new stuff. That's why I think a lot of the summary right now because you know I'm just trying to go back to. You know, 95, 96 when I was there, and I was, you know, and, at, and like the older I get, you know, I'm kind of losing uh, the hate I had. Yeah. So like I'm trying to keep that too. It sounds weird, but I think it's important. <laughs> um, but yeah, after the MFA, you know, I think it was good I had that year break at the casino, you know, to recover from it because it was <laughs> it was like a boot camp in itself too for me. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm writing, you know, I came to realize though, like. Uh, I need prompts, right? So I need someone to say, do something. I, and it sucks that I'm that lazy. But like, so like getting this prompted me to, to say, wait a minute, let me add some new stuff. Let me, you know, what would they like? Like, what, what would you see as the benefit from or anything? Like, what would, what would, what would, what would they think is cool? So, um, you know, without that, you know, um, I, I don't think, I haven't been writing too much. But with stuff like this, it made me realize like, yeah, that's kind of what I went to college for was, you know, for, for prompts, you know, um, to experiment, to do some weird stuff. And, and, and that aspect I kind of miss, you know. Uh, but now I got students doing it, so, uh, you, know, you know, it's pretty cool, it's pretty cool. But yes, if you, you know, publishers, if you know some, um, I'll give you this 16 pages. <laughs> That's what I was hoping. It's um, right now it's at 300 pages. I hope to push it to eight, nine hundred, um, um, because you know for some strange reason I want to do every day uh, for eight months straight. And it's a, it's a, it was a strange institution. You know, to give a brief history of it: uh, uh, Arizona, Nevada, Florida, uh, Pennsylvania, and I think Utah. Child abuse laws differ, uh, or at least they did. So a lot of states were sending the worst of their kids. Uh, to these institutions because you know they can put you in stress position for hours. Uh, they can hit you with an open hand if they need to, or with a closed one, right? If you're be if you need to be restrained, like they can do a lot of crazy stuff. And it sounds similar from like torture doctrines that you know we've seen post 9/11, right? It's the same similar stuff. But eventually they kill kids, and I think uh, out of all the institutions totally for 1978, there's been 40, right? And some of them have been um, you know irresponsible. Some of them have been from AWOLing, from running away, um, escaping. Some of them have been you know, from sickness, but still. Um, it's a very bizarre institution. But it had um, the highest, 
I don't know how to say that word. Recidivism? Yeah, recidivism, right? So it had 60% recidivism. And that's on a five-year plan. So after um, people were getting out, for five years, they didn't do anything wrong. And for these kind of juveniles, that's like really good. 60%. So it becomes like, you know, Bob Thomas, I remember the, um, the director of this program, was saying like, you know, some of these kids only knew needles. Uh, and now they're up in college, right? So like, it, it is a valid point. But then you have kids who, um, you know, straight up die. Right, so like it's like this, this problem with sacrifice, or mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're teaching these kids to to be responsible out of fear. So it's like a very negative side of sincerity. I don't, there's a bunch of problems there, but um, so it is something, you know, that I hope to do, uh, that I hope to finish. Um, I want to push it to 900. You know, Mark's book. I haven't read it yet, but that thing's a thousand pages. So it feels good that those books are still being produced, um, and they're actually physical books. So. Um, hopefully, hopefully, but you know, it's a lot of hate and a lot of spite. So I gotta, you know, think about that too. It's completely omniscient. Like, who the hell wants to read that, right? So, uh, you know, we're taught like to hate that now, and there's a reason to hate it for sure. But uh, it feels good to do it too, in, in, in the same sense. Nice to see you again, to Biz Arts. Um, I I did a year there too, MFA people. You know, I did two years in the literature department and one year in Biz Arts. Biz Arts helped me out a hell of a lot, too. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Did you, you graduate in literature, though? Or? Yeah, I got my MFA, but the cool thing about it is it's this, they force you to take classes outside, right? So I was just like, okay. Um, I saw one called Fact and Fiction. Um, and when I talked to the teacher, he goes, no, 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 I want writers. Because, like, none of my students care about narrative. Or, you know, these are Biz Arts students. Or, like, you know... They, they, they're not doing like writing processes, right? Um, so I want this our students, and like, as soon as I took that fact and fiction class, I mean, I mean that was, it was really cool. You know, we studied like uh, cops TV show, uh, we studied like appropriation, and so on the literature side, it was really hard for me to understand how those things were working. But for some reason, when I was experiencing them on the VizArt side, like I was starting to get a, a bigger understanding. So like, um, what Faroki taught, you know, uh, you know, as far as appropriation, uh, like that totally changed uh, my perception ideas, like recontextualizing stuff, um, using older narratives. Um, so it was a really cool experience. And then I took a class like uh, on gardening, which that's all it was. For, um, with Leslie, in, Leslie. Yeah, with Leslie Stern. Like that was a badass class. That was the best class, I, one of the best classes yeah. I ever took. You know, one, Careful, you know. Well, it was gardening. It was gardening. It was it was gardening. It was political. It was creative. I mean, it was really cool. Uh, we went from everywhere from TJ um, to LA. So uh, it was a really cool experience. And then I did this strange one before this building uh, was built. Um, was about um, uh, censoring, right? And so like people censoring and stuff like that. I forget that guy's name. Benjamin something. Right. Yeah. 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 So like. And all these things, and I was like um, extremely hostile, not hostile, but uh, I, don't, I don't have the word for it, but like, um, he was pushing this idea, or wanting us to talk about it, and I was just like, nah man, you know, I was trying to be subversive, like everything he said, like, you know, I think it's wrong, or all this other stuff, it was really funny, the way it worked out, because, you know, uh, I wrote some good stuff because of that, and this idea of listening to computers and all that other weird stuff, or, or being under the freeway, that came from his class, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, part, a large part of it is, so... Uh, I don't know, it, it was really cool, you know. I, I learned to read and write in grad school, and um, you know, essays and all that other stuff being forced to teach them, so having that biz arts and the literature 
uh, Mercy Together taught me uh, a lot more than I think just staying in one department. Um, Anything else? Yeah. The sound and digital downloads of my first book for Drug Eclipse, the first poem I read is the first poem in that book. Um, it's on for five bucks. I'll just give you a code and you plug it in on my website. Yeah. Um, I'm talking